Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, Brother John. And for all those folks out there who have never listened to our podcast before, we're two brothers, John and Jerry Daniels. Say hi, John. Hello. Yeah, there's probably a John. few. There's probably more people that haven't listened to our show than that have. By way of introduction, we do really <laughs> just three things, really, other than just you know saying howdy and all that stuff and talking about our sponsor. We have a rat story. We have because this is the year of the rat and it's our season of the rat. <sighs> so we have a rat story. We have a word of the week, and then we have two takes. <clears throat> excuse me on some really titillating subject. Amazing subjects. Subjects that, well, I can't say anymore. I can't say anymore, John. Yeah, you've teased enough. I guess I have. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> what t-shirt are you wearing, John? I'm wearing the uh, Season of the Rat t-shirt because I feel that the story we have this week is so, so good that I, I had no choice but to wear this shirt. I have a similar situation going on with me. I'm wearing... Support Our Musicians t-shirt, which is also our sponsor, Very hosted good. on Bonfire. But I'm not wearing the turquoise one you'll see in the artwork below. I'm wearing the gray one, which is also very Ooh. nice. And I know you like gray, so. Gray, good. All right. Hey, all I right, think we've covered that? a lot of territory there. That's all good. <laughs> T-shirt-wise. Yeah. How about the rat story, though? Well, I'll tell you, the rat story is is... It's one of the best that I've come up with, and I just feel so fortunate. It's timely. It's got actually a little to continue, but here's here's the good old rat story. What happened was that this is a story about a fellow, a performance artist, who felt we needed to add a little levity to our situation, particularly on public transportation. A fellow by the name of Jonathan Lyons, a performance artist um, in New York City. So what he did is he had a costume. He's he's kind of a mime, a physical theater type guy. Little yeah. and he can bounce around and do all this good stuff. So he had done a um he had actually done a a, a video uh, earlier in Times Square with respect to his having a rat outfit on with a nice beautiful head. Yeah, and it's he put it on he put it he put it out uh, and got a lot of hits on the Internet with it and said, what the heck? I'm going to dust that thing off and ja uh, prance and dance on the subway. And he got such a great response. People mm. were just, you know, you, you, you get in public transportation now and you're just kind of you, you're just all tense because you don't want to you're kind of confined. You can't move very much and you don't know if you got the social distancing down. So he was able to kind of take to lighten that load a little bit with it. So yeah. uh, that's where it starts, and that's what he's doing. But the good news is that that isn't where it ends. Oh, apparently uh, there's a director uh, a, a, uh, who's done some Christmas movies that uh, has done a short with him in the in the in the mask outfit that's going to be on YouTube, and that's going to premiere on Thanksgiving. Really? I mean, yes. is him in the rat suit? Him in the rat suit? Yes, him in the rat suit. So he's going to take his journeys as they've been done recently on the subway, and he's going to make it into a short, a movie short, and it's going. He's already done it probably, and uh, yeah, it, it. And I think I, I don't know the name of this. I don't know the fella too well. He did one of those Kumar, that Kumar Christmas movie. Oh, uh, Harold really? and Kumar 3D Christmas. Oh. His name those is Todd Strauss. 
uh, Schultzen. That is the name of the director. Just to repeat, right. Jonathan Lyons is the actual mime or physical performance artist. So he did this short. It's coming out. So what I like about this story, it's very timely. It's very topical. And we've got some beautiful, a nice photo that you can see in the photo yeah, bomb yeah, yeah. of the rat. So if you want to see exactly what this guy looks like, and you can tell that he's a this little guy who's very yeah. agile, because he'll yeah. just kind of, kind of, kind of get in all fours and bounce around and get on the subway, and all of a sudden he's hippity hopping on top a chair uh, yeah. on on top of the subway seat, and there he is, all good. He, he reminds me a little more of an armadillo than a rat because of the he's got the big <laughs> hind legs like a human. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's some uh, there's some animals in the uh, in that family that actually walk around like humans on two legs. They're pretty weird looking. But anyways, uh, a couple notes here I had on this. One was uh, you could tell this guy's had professional experience because he gets with. How do you create expressions with a mask that is immobile? In other words, the mouth yeah. doesn't move or anything, or the eyes He's don't kind move. Of tilt so his head a little. That's what Go he ahead. does. He's very good at that. And the other thing that I noted in the article was. Uh, yes, he he did add levity to the experience of an otherwise immobile and rather stoic trip on mass transit. But also, uh, it is somewhat surprising that the reactions are muffled. They're still not out and out. Oh, would you look at that? The people are still kind of like so tense about COVID and mass trans that, you know, he does get reactions. You're right. But they are a little muffled. And I thought that Times Square little thing he did was not as good as the... Uh, the closed space inside the uh, subway. Yeah, I thought that was really great. I, I, I really think there's like also it. a lot of times New York, uh, you know, has to have that attitude. Well, we've seen it yeah. all. Big deal, yeah, <laughs> you know. Jaded. So you jaded. <laughs> they're jaded. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's enough of that. Hey, we got a word. Give me the word. What's the word? S chew. S chew. You know, this is the kind of word that yeah. you see in print so often. And you, you think you know what it is, and you don't use it, and you kind of know what it means, but give us the full scoop. Full scoop is, you're right, by by context, you can often tell what this word is. Yeah. The remar- and I had a discussion with some learned people, and that means Sarah and Tim down in Australia, because they know the English language better than we do. Uh, yeah, uh, Sarah is, is Irish and... and uh, and, and Tim is Australian, oh. but he was schooled in England, so he knows these little details about how to say stuff. And Sarah uh, said the word incorrectly, actually. She used the English pronunciation of uh, S-C-H. And, you know, when they say schedule, they say schedule. Yeah. yeah. So she was saying eschew. And and Tim said, I don't think that's right. I think it's eschew, eschew. And so there's the English pronunciation of this word is only slightly different than the American. Basically, it's S chew, with the with the and I always say after she says it Gesundheit. Yeah, I was just yeah, going to yeah. say that I think that would be very appropriate. It means to deliberately avoid. So I'll give you a sentence here. I eschewed the front seat and clambered in the back, allowing him to take my bags. Wow, that's good. Yeah, it's it's from a, a a book written by an English author. Uh it's for King and Country. It's a web book. I read two or three of these a week, sometimes they're generally crap books, but every once in a while you run into a good one. This had some excellent language in it, so I picked up two or three words from this one. And they weren't totally <laughs> criticisms. They were real words that we used to 
So anyway, that's okay. that's that's that, John. That's the word. That's the word. I appreciate it. I uh, I look forward to using that a little more often because it's obviously you're right. It's a word that we we see a lot in print. So very good, very good. We choice. do. We see it a lot, but very few people say it. Yep. And I think that's partially because uh, it, it there's a little dispute over how to say it. Yeah, I think that's why. I think the why they hold back, but it looks great in print. I've seen a lot of people. You're right, right. Okay, how about this? Why don't we do two takes? A request from a good friend of ours uh, who we were in high school with, uh, Nate McClure, is the one who uh, who suggested this topic. And I felt so good because it's actually a topic I know a little bit about. The topic we're going to talk about uh, was over the past uh, 10 days, the Miami Marlins um, – broke some ground uh, in terms of uh, breaking the glass ceiling and hired a woman by the name of Kim Ng to become their general manager. Uh, and Kim has got an incredible story, and I think she's going to do a great job. So what we'd like to do is talk a little bit about it. And this is something which, if it isn't on sports, quite often it's been on TV or whatever as a feature story. There's been a lot said about it because she is one of – she's probably the highest-ranking – a uh, woman sports executive in North America is what they, they're right. saying. So right. uh, let's give a little bit of Kim's background and the yeah. journey that she took in order to get there. By the way, Kim just uh, celebrated a birthday a couple of days ago. On Mar- November 17th, she turned 52 years old. But yep. get, let's get all the way back to the beginning, and that is uh, – she was uh, born in Indianapolis, and she was raised in the New York City area of Queens, Long Island, New Jersey. And her parents, uh, and, and she is American Asian, and her, her parents were in the financial industry, one's an analyst, another one just a banker. And Kim had a very good back, uh, you know, uh, upbringing, had, she's uh, the oldest of five children, and uh, what she did is she, from her father, uh, immediately got an interest in sports. And so what she did is she went through high school and ended up getting an opportunity to come to Chicago and go to the University of Chicago. And there she was good enough in her in softball to make their team and also be one of their more valuable players during the four yeah. years that she was there. That's not easy to do, by the way. No, it's not easy to get on these teams in college. Yeah, I mean, you talk you to know, anybody. Yeah, the, the the level of competition is steps up mm. dramatically when you yeah. go from high school to college. So Kim got her degree in public policy and still continued to have that avid interest in in baseball, softball, whatever. And she took a job, a local job, working as an intern. For the Chicago White Sox. Now, when you yeah. become an intern, that, that is the lowest of the low. I mean, you're not, mm. you, you, you're, if you might get lucky and get paid. I mean, mm. you take these jobs more to get experience than anything yeah. else. So Kim did this, and this, uh, just to bring us up to speed date wise, she graduated in 1990 and took this job in 1990 with the White Sox and was able to move up into a full time position all the way to the, to an associate the director of, or assistant director of, of operations. Mm-hmm. So she made an impression, and I, as we here in Chicago, a lot of people are very proud of what Kim has done. And mostly, you think, well, she's not from here, but she made such a dramatic, such a, a an influence upon the White Sox and the work she did there. And the one thing I remember as she was coming through, uh, you know, going up the ladder in terms of her career, 
was that she was responsible for doing arbitration, uh, giving a lot of the, and so um, amazingly, this is when she does a job, she takes it on, she embraces it. Mm-hmm. And what she did it, when you, when you went up against Kim, Kim was actually in during arbitration. You know, a player would say, "I want this amount of money." The, the like the club would say, "No, uh, we're going to give you a lower amount." Kim would be the one who would be part of that negotiation, and she took yeah. no prisoners. Never lost an arbitration case. She just got a reputation. So she did that. She uh, she then moved on and became with with the New York Yankees. Uh, worked for them, and I think there's one thing that we see throughout her career which has made a big difference. She has had incredible mentors. And she had some people she worked with with the White Sox, Kenny Williams. Um, she worked with a with a, another a couple other fellow people there that are very well respected, Danny Evans. And then she goes on and works for not only a, a, an incredible boss, Brian Cashman, but she works for a very successful organization, the New York Yankees. Yeah. So she was working at the Yankees between like 1998 and 2000, 2001. Brian that's Cashman. A, that's a that's a good time for the Yankees. It's a good time for the Yankees. They were, you know, in the they were always in the World Series during that period. And the other thing is that she also was able to she and she broadened her network of people, and and she would reach out to people where she felt she could learn something from. And one of the great ball players at that time was Derek Jeter. Now Derek Jeter yeah. plays a big part in the story as <laughs> it continues. Yeah. So uh, she ended up there, uh, but the Yankees, and then took a job as an assistant GM with the Dodgers. And I'll tell you, there, there's another a, a powerhouse organization that's just yep. had a, a lot of success. She worked there, and in in. So in 2005, she had an opportunity to actually interview for the first time. And this is, this was, this was groundbreaking in itself. She was for interviewing the, for general manager, right? Yeah, for the general manager position. She wow. didn't get it, but she continued there for a while. And I think Kim realized that what she needed to do was she needed to broaden horizons a bit. Yeah. And so what she did is in 2011, she took a job as in, with MLB, uh, Major League Baseball. And when you say Major League Baseball, that is a vast organization and a very well yes, it old. Or it, it, you know, it isn't like the good old days when it was a country club with, no. uh, you know, with owners in various cliques, you know, this and that. It, it's really stepped up its game in terms of what it does. And yeah. it's well respected throughout all, this, all the major sports as to how they conduct themselves. Kim worked there starting in 2011, and she again, she has a mentor, Joe Torrey. Mm. Oh. Yeah, and so what happened is that she ended up you work for Major League Baseball, you your network, you know, expands dramatically because you know you're you're basically working with thirty different clubs. She also started as she was the director of operations of foreign operations, international operations actually is what it's called. I ran into Kim a lot in the Arizona Fall League because in addition to working on mostly Caribbean uh, side of it, she also was responsible for the Arizona Fall League. I had an opportunity to talk to her um, during that period of time. Just really very, very good. Uh, she carried herself well. You could see that she was already uh, kind of conducting herself as an executive. Very friendly, but also very professional in the way she handled yeah. it. So, uh, sure enough, uh, did she slap she, you around, John? I have to ask. 
Did you ask uh, some inappropriate no, questions? No, you know, Kim was uh, was was on the move, and she did not. Uh, she answered a couple questions I had very mm-hmm. well, and she was very cordial, but very, oh. like I said, very, very, very professional. I've, you she know, didn't I've take, a, she didn't take any of your shit, in other words. No, well, you know what? I've got a I've got a background of working for. I would say that over since about the early eighties, I've worked. I've had women bosses probably I would say ninety five percent of the time, with one just rare exception. So wow. let's just say I've learned through experience how to conduct myself uh, in the presence of women executives. Really? Well, let's just say you're going to stick with that. You're going to well, stick with that? yeah. Let's. Not, I I need to qualify that let's, and say okay, most let's of the not time. Dig in on that. Let's not. Yeah. I, let's okay. just say I have my moments of being disruptive. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. 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 I overstated it, but let's move on. So bit, Kim got bit. this. It got this incredible opportunity. Guess what? Derek Cheater becomes a minority baseball club owner with the Miami Marlins. Derek ah. had this great, you know, he, he's a competitive guy. He's got this this success. And it was kind of interesting because when Derek took over the Marlins a couple of years ago, he ended up overhauling it and good, good, and he made some very, very unpopular decisions, getting rid of some people, basically yeah. stri- stripping it down to what he felt so he could get his people in, this and that, whatever. And uh, so what has happened is that Derek hired her to become general manager. But I think what she's going to end up being is she's going to end up being the president of operations eventually. Eventually, yeah. But I think, she's I think got, that's in the books, too. Yeah, but she's working for uh, a minority owner. She's also, the staff includes another woman who handles the financial side of it. I think, and what's really good about Miami is it, it, Miami, it looked like up until this year was just, just going miserably. And all of a sudden they took out during the 60 game uh, schedule, they did very well. They were challenged by the COVID. They overcame it. They got a bunch of prospects. The other mm. thing is I think Kim feels, you know, they've had a lot of trouble really connecting the community with their team. And as much yeah, as you have. might think, you would think that Miami, with particularly with the Hispanics, Cubans, et cetera, it would yeah. be able to latch on. So Kim has is, is got a great network of people to work within the organization. She's got a great network outside the organization. Yep. I look forward to seeing them succeed. Their ballpark's beautiful, by the way. A great park to work in. So that's the story okay. of Kim. Good, uh, good. Uh, I like this, John. I like this. I'll just say one quick thing, and then we'll get on to the groaners. Uh, the quick thing is that uh, this is this is something you see every industry in the entertainment field gets jolted by something, you know. Mm-hmm. And the music industry got jolted by iPad, you know. Uh, I mean, iPod rather. And, you know, other industries have been mixed up a lot, and they, they have to respond to this stuff. So, you know, they've been jolted a lot by just the fact that the, that you have to move faster. Baseball has to move faster. They yeah. have to bring people up better. They have to culture their, their young players better and bring them through. Maybe the minor league system doesn't work so good, and they have to change something. Then they had to deal with COVID and all this stuff. And they've got somebody here who can really do the job and you know, everyone has heard this story, John. I'll tell you why I know that. Is I was talking to Sarah and Tim, as you know, last night. Right. And uh, they, I, they, they always ask me, hey, what, what are you doing on the show? And I mentioned Kim. And they said, oh, we've heard about this. We've heard about this. And so they're not, yeah. they're not a baseball country very much. But they knew this story cold. And they knew her name and everything. So this is a big story. It's a big deal. And I'm, I'm glad we got to cover it.
Yeah, I think it's really good. I'll just mention that I, the title I give to this is Breaks One of MLB's Glass Ceilings. Just think about it. We've got, yeah. we need a woman umpire. We've yes, already we got some women announcers. We've got groundskeepers. We get, we got all these different positions that women are starting to make their presence felt in not only baseball, but in the sports industry in general. So I agree. All good. Okay. Hop. Two groaners, John. We need them. <laughs> What we've got is we've got two groaners. The first groaner is going to be one I will provide. It was actually was provided by Vincent Anthony Lauder Jr. He, he is our groaner supplier of sorts. He's our veteran who always delivers in the clutch and he, he has succeeded dramatically. He's got a really good one here. And so I got to bring it up here. Okay. So here it is. All right. I'm, I'm getting ready. Go are, ahead. I'm, are you ready? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm ready. What's a cookie lover's favorite rock band. Cookie lover's favorite rock band. rock band. I'm sorry, I don't know. Oh, you're going to kick yourself. Oreo Speedwagon. Oh. <laughs> came up with those guys. Yeah, because yeah, you used to hang with them. Uh, I was, I was well, hoping I had the same manager one. they had. They spit on me. I wasn't worth, worth oh, acknowledging. Oh, come on. Uh, were hanging with them. Whatever. You go out and yeah, 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 it was kind of funny. I'd say, did you ever listen to him? And you says, well, I used to hang with him a little bit. You know, I love it. I love it. That's why I tell people. Yeah. Oh wow. So live up okay. to it. Okay. You ready? <laughs> I will. I will. I'll do my best. All right. Now, uh, you ready for? I've got one for you. Good. And this came from Phoebe Bridges, uh, one of the uh, singer guitar players for Boy Genius and a number of other groups, and a solo artist. She's incredible. I saw her on YouTube. And here's her joke. Are you ready? Yes. Where does the King of England keep his armies? Uh, I don't know oh. where. In his sleeveys. In his sleeveys? <laughs> armies? Sleeveys? Oh, God. <laughs> okay, I get it. I get it. Okay. 